Welcome to Moments by Now or Never. We believe changing a company from the inside is hard. That's why we're hosting video conversations with some of our favorite gurus, trailblazers, and creatives, so you can learn about the ideas that will change the market. If you're a leader who loves audacious ideas and wants to learn how to make them happen, this is for you. Today, we are having a conversation with some of our favorite agencies, Studio Something and Abacus, about what it takes to create ventures, find ventures, and work with startups. Yeah, so Studio Something, we're, um, we're uh, kind of three kind of pillared business. Uh, we have uh, our pri- primary business is uh, creative agency, so we do work for uh, numerous different clients, uh, such as Coca-Cola, Skyscanner, Innocent Gun, and people like that. Um, and then we have a uh, venture side, obviously, which we were talking um, about today. But we also have an in- entertainment slash broadcast side of the company, which makes TV shows. And that was actually one of the ventures we'll talk about today as well. Um, so, yeah. So, um, as Ian mentioned, I'll kind of uh, chat a bit about three different things. So, um, one is Wellbot, which is our um, essentially pr- uh, big proper startup venture if that makes sense so essentially we kind of split up ventures into three different buckets so we kind of have ideas for products which are not commercial um, <laughs> we know that they'll never make us money uh, but we want to do them anyway because we want them out in the world and um, we have ventures that we have an idea uh, but we know that we can't do it ourselves so we require an external partner uh, similar to JB, I suppose and then we have more commercially minded ideas um, where we essentially just build our own products and then build them around people generally because I only have so many hours in the day. <laughs> um, so yeah, they're, they're the kind of three different ways that we build ventures. Um, and I suppose I'll talk about them today. Uh, Pierre, do you want to maybe chat about yourself? Sure. Um, so yeah, thank you. Uh... Thank you, Ian, for, for inviting me on. Um, I'm actually an Australian living undercover in Toronto as a, as a Brit. Uh, I was born in Australia, raised in England, and now live in Toronto. So I went from tropical to grey to Arctic tundra. Um, so, yeah, my, my, my main venture is Abacus. That's the agency. I've been in the agency world for um 10 years i've uh sold one um then started abacus abacus started as a kind of media only shop and progressively kind of bolted on services where it where it made sense um we started the ideas uh you know uh, in 2016 with a kind of eye to 2020 you know we want to be a disruptive force when it comes to 2020 we had no idea what what a shit show 2020 would be, but uh, basically now we're a, you know, we're we're a shop that brings together strategy, creative, and media to help clients engineer growth through performance media. Um, in 2018, um, we started doing a lot of work with cannabis, um, so working with other people's brands. Um, we eventually formed a company called High Noon, which is a CPG company um, for cannabis brands. Um, we're not at all kind of structured like Ian, where we have a kind of purpose-built venture arm. Um, we've been kind of been doing it haphazard, and you know the first one worked pretty well. We've had, we've you know we've taken some bets on other startups that didn't work so well, um, 
and now we're kind of in this zone where we've got an agency, we've got this, you know, startup that's doing doing pretty well. And we're now looking at how to formalize a kind of structure where we can spin out companies and products um, in a way that doesn't disrupt the functioning of the agency, which I think is is it's pretty common to happen. A lot of agency owners kind of want a slice of the product pie because you know they're worried agencies can't scale, et cetera, et cetera. So they start doing this other stuff and it distracts away from the agency and it it kills everything. So we're really trying to uh, work out a way how to um, do all of these kind of lotto tickets, uh, spin-offs um, without um, killing the killing the golden goose. So um, I'll, I'll talk about all of that stuff. Awesome, thanks Peter and Ian. Um, so I guess, Ian, do you want to talk a bit about some of the, the different ventures that you've got at Studio Something, like Confused Finitaria as well, but like, how did they come to be? Um, what's some of the stories behind them and um, what made them successful? And in the ones that maybe didn't make you so much money, what's, is there any some of the, the good learnings that you have behind that? Yeah, um, so <clears throat> well, Wellbot, which is kind of the, um, our first uh, proper venture that we did, um, so that's a wellness at work platform. So that came, that came about, um, we were purposely kind of looking for a venture to do or an idea to kind of incubate. Um, and we had quite a few different ones. We had one that was uh, <laughs> an idea that was like a donation uh, like mechanism for charities uh, where like essentially people can't access public toilets a lot. There's not many public toilets. So we thought actually could you donate there was like some mad ideas. And essentially we were just trying, we were testing them out, uh, live test them. And then Sam Deere, who's the now founder of Wellbot, who we essentially built the venture around, um, he had this idea for essentially trying to get people to be healthier at work because sitting's the new smoking, et cetera, et cetera. So it's an extremely sedentary kind of desk-based behavior to be bad for you. Um, so that essentially started out as a WhatsApp group um, so we did a kind of um, a really kind of basic prototype um, to just see if we liked the idea. Um, so that was literally like everyone talks about incubators. That was essentially us incubating the idea. <laughs> it was a WhatsApp group, um, and then we quite quickly realised that we liked the idea. Um, the interesting thing about Wellbot was it started out as a. It's three years old now, so it started out as a D to C kind of uh, desktop app. Um, and it, it quite quickly we realized that we weren't really going to compete in that market. It was too busy. Uh, it actually didn't really, um, it, wasn't the, it wasn't the way that we were going to help as many people as we wanted to help. Uh, so we realized we actually needed to go and pivot quite quickly to a B2B model. Um, and that's what uh, Wellbot is now. So it's in 250 organizations. Um, it's got really high engagement. It's used by companies like PwC um, and Epson. Um, so, so yeah, it's 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 quite interesting how well what came to be because we purposely were looking for a venture then. But to kind of Peter's point, quite a lot of the ideas were they were just kind of hunches or things we wanted to do or born out of opportunities. So a view from the terrace, which you mentioned, um, that is essentially a TV show, and so it was born out of one of our um, someone that I work with called Robert Borfwick. He's our um, content strategist and in his spare time he does a um, podcast about Scottish football um, and you know we kind of encourage everyone to have their passions pursue them in their spare time and and you know chat about them at work and um, so we're quite an open kind of creative space like that 
Um, and then essentially what happened was that the, the first podcast, which um, he, he was part of, got approached by the BBC and they went, actually, do you want to make a pilot of this for the TV? So Robert asked us, we had never made a TV show before. We didn't know how to do it. Um, we had a production arm of, of, the, of the company, but certainly not a broadcast arm. Um, so that was one that was just born out of a kind of opportunity that went, actually, I feel like we could do this. Again, we built it around uh, two people. So Jordan Laird, who's my um, co-founder, um, he's kind of the creative force behind the show. And we uh, built around our producer, Andy Mass. So again, it's like, it's starting the way that we kind of view ventures is you build them around people because companies are just people right so it, it, that's how we do things um, and now the show's in its third season obviously there's no no football at the minute but it's coming back when Scottish football's back and that's allowed us to create a venture um, essentially we cr create a, an entertainment production company and um, we've got another commission from the BBC. We're talking to Amazon and Netflix about um, other commissions. So if we hadn't just kind of taken that opportunity and went, actually, we don't know how to do this, but I think we can work it out really quickly, um, that wouldn't have been a thing. And then the third kind of venture that we've done, um, we knew was we, we knew it was never going to make us any money, but it got us uh, opened quite a lot of doors in our agency world. So there's quite often. Um, a symbiotic relationship between doing ventures and new business for the agency that I found. And we don't do that purposely. I think we just make stuff because we like making stuff. And um, but it does help um, kind of open doors. So that was Studio Wave. So we actually built that. And um, we came up with the idea and then we realized we couldn't build it. And um, we don't have devs or anything like that. And um, so we partnered with a company called Us Two, who are a digital design studio based in London. They they made the game Monument Valley, which is quite famous. And um yeah, essentially that is <laughs> that was born out of a mistake. So a view from the terrace was born out of an opportunity. Uh, Studio Wave was born out of a mistake. Our designer Ken was essentially watching a video. It was um, Steve Jobs talking about something, and then he accidentally he listens to this really trippy like um, like vaporwave music, and uh, kind of synced in perfect kind of harmony with Steve Jobs talking and we're like that is really good that's almost the perfect music for someone's studio so we were like we just want to build that and um, so that's our kind of third venture that we made and um, that we knew wasn't going to make us any money but it got quite a lot of traction the thing that I found is <laughs> I don't know if there's any like VC bros in here uh, but VCs love stuff that doesn't make money but is very hypey and people were way more interested in uh, Studio Wave than a lot of other stuff that we've built that actually does make money, uh, which I found quite interesting. So, so yeah, they're the kind of three things that we, we, we built and the three ways that we did that, really. Can you talk a little bit about um, you've done these things and kind of mentioned that you didn't, some of them happened by luck, happenstance, serendipity, um, and you didn't necessarily know what you were doing, but you made them all work and be successful. Um, is there any sort of secret behind like that, or are you just brilliant? Uh, no, uh, I think the 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 main thing that I've kind of learned from ventures is uh, is stru structuring it properly at the start. So I think a, a, a lot of mistakes that I've noticed people make is um, they sometimes don't reward and remunerate the person that's doing all the work. You know, so for instance, if one person's going to put in all the time into a project, they should be, you know, 
they should be rewarded or have a, have the biggest stake in that company um, because actually it's them that's putting the time in. Um, so that's just the way that we structure ventures and what we found works. Um, when we're making something like, uh, for instance, StudioWave, you just set out with eyes open. You know why you're doing it. You know, so there's never kind of this friction along the way. You're all just building towards the same thing. With a view from the terrace, the show, that was, uh, can't believe we're making a, a TV show about a favorite thing. Let's see if we're any good at this. Turned out we we're actually pretty good at it. Um, and we then kind of decided to build a venture around it um, for entertainment. So I think it's just kind of, it's just, it's just going into stuff with your eyes open um, picking the right people to kind of work with and collaborate with and then giving people autonomy or rewarding people properly um, is kind of the, the main things that I've learned from that. And what about the people behind them? Like, There's a certain type of person that takes the, the risk upon themselves or puts the time and the effort to go and do something like that, that like, you see this difference in the world between an agency doing something like this and a corporate doing something like this. Like, Talk a little bit about the people that are behind these things. Yeah, I think it's just that the, the people behind them are uh, extremely, you have to put in a lot of work, right? Uh, a lot of lonely hours into projects like this. Um, and I think it takes a certain amount of resilience. I mean, the, the main thing that I've noticed is that, and especially in a, like, I'm from an advertising background, it's like the ultimate parody of like uh, advertising creative that they've got the, um, the, the screen, uh, the their, their screenplay in the top drawer that they'd love to make a TV show or or whatever, but they never start. They never go out and 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 make stuff that we want to make. So, for instance, when Jordan and I were uh, copywriters at our old ad agency, we directed music videos for Island Records, Virgin, and people like this in our spare time on our weekends because you you just you you should just be making the stuff that you want to make. And I think so many people. Don't start because, you know, perfect is the enemy of good. They're so scared that it won't be perfect. And things aren't never perfect for two, three, maybe sometimes four years. If I look back at the start of the, the, the show that we made, you know, the first few episodes were pretty ropey and we were kind of still, the team were still kind of learning what they were doing. Um, and that was all right because actually you, we didn't know what we were doing. And eventually after, you know, nearly 60 odd episodes, whatever, we we have learned and we're kind of building on that and um, so yeah i think the, the the people behind them are pretty you know jordan andy who make the show sam mike and pete who are building out um wellbot and then the rest of my team they're all just quite um hard working resilient and kind of going after the same thing i think being aligned to the same goal is really important And just have it, like all these things are super fun. It's, like there's there's so many moments where you're like, oh, we're making a TV show, or we're um, trying to make people healthier, or you know, in the agency world, it's like we're we're having a lot of fun. And I think like don't don't forget that actually we're quite lucky to do this. Like, um, there there are horrible horrible moments when you're building stuff, and it can be really stressful. But most of the time, things are things are pretty, you know, things are pretty good. <laughs> when, when, when you take control of your kind of own destiny and you do your own thing, like I really enjoy that. And that's why, you know, I think Peter kind of touched on that earlier where you, you enjoy, I love working with clients. I love um, collaborating with them. But actually you sometimes go, hold on, 
Like I've got, I, I can kind of do this myself also, you know, and I, I love kind of being the, um, you know, looking after your own destiny a little bit. And I think that's what ventures are. You know, if you don't try them, you'll never know. So uh, everyone should just start a venture tomorrow. <laughs> Um, can you talk a bit more about like Wellbot specifically? Because I think it's like at this moment in time, like everybody, everybody who works behind a computer has effectively been sent to, sent home to work from there. So people have sat on sofas, on beds, and like assembled emergency IKEA furniture to give them a place to work. Um, yeah. When you set up Wellbot, it was obviously probably more designed for people who are in an office. But now, what an office has changed. But I think it'd be really cool to talk a bit about like what Wellbot is, why you did it, and and some of the things that it does. Yeah, so we kind of see it. So well, Wellbot is essentially a um, wellness at work platform. So it, it sits on your desktop and it um, sends you not, like um, nudges um, or notifications and um, teaching you to kind of, teaching mindfulness, teaching you to hydrate, um, teaching you to stretch um, and making you take kind of screen breaks and things like that. Um, and the kind of interesting thing about Wellbot is um, since kind of COVID's happened, we've been able to pivot the because it's just um, you know it's a it's a team that's able to kind of be quite agile, be quite quick, and um, so we we're able to kind of add in functionalities that actually gave um, you know the the users of Wellbot um, up to date information from their government um, about COVID. You know we we're able to push these kind of uh, this information to them really really quickly. So it's actually been. Um, it's actually been quite an interesting time for the company and kind of in, for innovation within Wellbot um, because we we're able to kind of try new things, we we're able to kind of show to the existing uh, customers what we could do and actually that made other companies realise the kind of um, value of the proposition which actually we were kind of we weren't sure which way that was going to go um, because as you say, no one's really at work, uh, but everyone's at work. So one thing that's quite interesting as well is that any kind of HR department that uses Wellbot, you know, they have quite a good dashboard to check in on their employees. I don't know about anyone else who runs a company. I've been really worried about my employees and, and their wellness when uh, they've been working from home. Um, I know a lot of people have been super anxious about the situation and kind of struggling to work, finding it hard to work, um, or going the other way and actually just working too much, you know, never kind of turning off from work. Um, so I think companies have kind of seen the benefit of that as well. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been pretty interesting. And the thing with Wellbot as well, we used in the early days, we spent a long time, maybe a year, a year and a half, actually doing the legwork um, on, the, on the science behind it. So we worked with um, a few different universities and, um, a government organisation in Scotland uh, called uh, Interface, which is essentially um, a, a company which kind of uh, pairs uh, universities and kind of scientific knowledge with uh, startups like like Wellbot. So, so that that kind of work that we did in those early days has actually really, really helped us now. Um, whereas, you know, as a creative guy, I was just like, let's just make the screens look cool. Uh, <laughs> but the the guys in Wellbot were. Uh, they they were obviously smarter than me, and they said actually this stuff's really important, and we need to get this. Um, we need to get this, you know, legit. Um, so yeah, um, it's actually been, you know, no, don't like to say a good thing, but it's it's certainly benefited well. But uh, the situation that we're in currently, whereas 
we weren't sure um, how that would go, um, especially with you know people moving out of the office. And I think that's only going to continue. Like I'm, I'm going to go to the office less. I don't know if anyone else will, but yeah. That's because you just moved to the suburbs, mate. That's it. It's the commute life. I can't hack it already. Um, and then, like in terms of like building that product, like you've put that to the side of the business a little bit. Like talking about structuring how you've done these things, that they effectively become their own their own beast, their own ventures. How does it work when you have like you've got your agency, but then you've also got these other things? Like, how do you structure that effectively? Yeah, so we we do that in different ways. So. Wellbot's an SPB, you know, so essentially it's structured in a way that it was always meant to sit on the side of the, the company. It was always meant to become a proper business on its own um, rather than a kind of studio something side hustle. It's not that, you know, it's, it is a, it is a um, you know, pro proper big business now. Um, whereas a view from the terrace, that was a, we, we viewed that, we always said, John and I at the start, we were like, let's just view this as a project. And actually, if we're really shit making telly, <laughs> it doesn't matter. We've not lost anything. We've only lost his time, right? Um, so we've, we obviously did them in very different ways. Um, and that project, the View from the Terrace, eventually became a venture or a side of the, the, the business that, that's now built out, has its own uh, profit and loss and things like that. And I think that's the thing that, that's quite interesting is um, knowing when it's a venture and when it's not. You know, because for a long time, the view from the terrace was just a project, just a show we made, um, and then we were like, actually, um, this is quite a, this is a, one. It's the way that the entertainment business makes money is very different to how agencies make money. So the, it was <laughs> them being in the same P and L totally tickled my brain. So I was like, well, we need to totally change this. And then, um, yeah, with Wellbot, it was always just meant to be. Um, a business and we knew that from the start and we structured it that way from the start so yeah cool. and um, straight away we made no money so we didn't have to <laughs> structure that anyway but it's cool yeah it is good fun yeah um before i hand over to peter um like we'll do some questions at the end as well for the guys but does anyone have any questions based upon what ian's been chatting about so far I've got a quick question. Um, thanks very much, Ian. That was uh, really fascinating to hear how you arrived at all those places um, without a lot of um, planning and, and strategy, but uh, good for you. Good for you for trusting your gut. Um, I wanted to ask, what do you think the, um, the, the model is um, from the agency and kind of working with startups and what's kind of the, the new model for agencies that you think will work where they can still do what they do best but still you know help startups and get a piece of the action and um, so, so do you mean uh, how best can agencies kind of work with young startups or? well i mean most agencies aren't really you know like most startups can't afford agencies most agencies are looking for bigger clients and bigger projects and just to you know just to make the the business model work mm -hmm. uh, but obviously there's a lot of wonderful synergies if you could bring kind of the experience and the um, you know, the talent that people and agencies have with the kinds of needs that startups have to either bring products to market or to, you know, get awareness or to do customer development and all that. But, but like, the, it's almost like the numbers don't work on either side. What, what, do, what do you think is kind of the, 
the model that that could make it work where both sides benefit yeah so that um that is something that we do a wee bit um with so with some startups i suppose you we do get approached by quite a lot of startups and it's kind of um generally you know if you like the founder you like the idea um you can kind of structure a you know performance related bonus and actually do things for lesser rates or you could do things for equity and um, there's loads of different ways that you could kind of do that we generally don't do kind of any equity deals with startups because it's really complicated and it's super gets super confusing so essentially it's quite an open conversation really if, if a startup comes to us and goes we don't have that much money but we think we you know maybe one day will um, <laughs> you can kind of quite quickly come to a deal that kind of works for everyone I think and obviously that's quite interesting because if things go well you do really well but if things go badly you probably both do badly um, so I think those kind of relationships are quite interesting we don't do many of them we've done it once or twice um, because we can't realistically build a business off of those types of deals um, but it is stuff that we do structure things like that um, and it is I, I quite um, I was actually speaking to Ian about uh, something similar you know in terms of how, how would I do this how would you structure this and um, I think it is quite an interesting thing that a lot of agencies are thinking about I don't know as we cracked it, um, but we certainly do it. And I think it's that kind of, it's sweat ek, but without the equity, if that makes sense. Sure, thanks. Sweet, I guess we'll hand over to you, Peter. Tell us a little bit about Abacus and, uh, and uh, High 12, High Noon. Yeah, I'm still stuck on the, uh, the Scottish football podcast. That must be a exercise in misery. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so abacus we started in 2016 uh jeff and myself that's my business partner uh, jeff is from the startup world he's been the head of growth and growth marketer at a lot of startups wrote a book on it so he's always been brand side i've always been on the agency side um i was coming off the back of a um a smaller agency exit private sale um that um, was a bit of a gong show. So we uh, we both came into this kind of um, wanting to start something, wanting to start something that solved a real problem. Um, we were both kind of performance style marketers. So we launched Abacus. And the, the whole idea was we both read this book, uh, Manslaughter on Madison Avenue, which is about the downfall of uh, kind of the modern AOR agency. And we kind of picked out these items from there. It was a super interesting read. We wanted to be specialized. Uh, we didn't want to be this full service agency. We want to be collaborative in a kind of mesh network of, of agencies rather than you know trying to be an AOR and do everything for everybody. Um, we wanted to be revenue and performance focused. Um, we wanted to have clients with good you know terms and all of that kind of stuff and because we saw a number of problems that eating away at the, the the traditional agency model so to start with we were only we, we specialized we specialized in facebook media running performance campaigns uh for brands quickly realized that only controlling that tiny piece of the pie was uh you know not good for us um we we were being judged on cpa um but we only controlled a small element so we started to work on other pieces of the pie and the, you know, solving bigger pieces of the puzzle which namely was you know how do we make creative 
for brands that are doing these large-scale advertising campaigns? How do we scale that creative? How do we make it fit the form and function of the platform? And how do we combine it with media and data uh, effectively? Because most of these AORs say they're combining it. They're not. They all sit in different areas. They don't talk to each other. They hate each other. Brand doesn't talk to performance. Performance doesn't talk to brands. Um, we wanted to combine all of that together to build growth engines. To start with, we were doing a lot of work with with startups, um, we quickly worked out that, you know, pre-product market fit startups maybe wasn't a good place to play in from a performance standpoint. Um, so we started working with Series A startups that wanted to scale faster and then eventually kind of large corporates, Body Shop, Star Wars, uh, you know, future unicorns like Cameo in the US. Um, and it's been really good for us. And we've, we, we've grown the agency at a rate double to that, that, you know, my last agency grew at, um, we've still obviously got the same problems that a lot of agencies have, um, in 2017, the cannabis sector started to heat up in Canada. Um, there was rumblings of kind of legalization. Medical was already there. We started doing a, a bunch of work with the early companies, pre-legalization, our first punt at a kind of um, equity deal um, was with a cannabis company. There was a company called Tokyo Smoke. Um, they uh, were a coffee shop and they thought, hey, all of these uh, cultivators and brands, um, they're going to need access to consumer information, but they can't market to them effectively. So let's build a normal business associated with cannabis. And then we would get a load of consumer data. We'd build up a footprint. We can market to them. And then we can sell to these LPs and these, uh, these big brands that are getting all of the venture money to a healthy sum. Um, we had the option to do a, a kind of cash equity split. We were money hungry at the time. We had to pay the bills. So I think we got paid something like, $3,000 each for me and Jeff. We could have taken a stake at about 3%, which by the time they sold would have been worth 6 million. Um, I think they sold for something like 200 million. So a big miss. And then, uh, you know, Jeff and I were kind of hungry after that. Let's, let's start doing some of these deals. A lot of startups used to come to us and wanted cash equity kind of deals. So we took some on and, um, they're still alive and kicking. None of them are a screaming success. And then we started to build a really strong cannabis practice um, through the Tokyo Smoke relationship. Then we started playing around with our own brands internally just for fun. A, uh, a guy came, approached us and said, I want to build a vape company. I want to build a vape. Can you do a brand? And we showed him a load of our brands. They're like, wow, we can, we can do something really interesting with these brands. And the, so we started to play around with more ideas and then this kind of central thesis came out of what we were doing, which was um, cannabis 2.0 was going to rely on you know, brands and consumer relationships to drive margin. A lot of the LPs and the cultivators, um, they are kind of these big, cumbersome, vertically integrated uh, companies that are essentially growing a commodity that's price gets forced down over time and the way you keep that price up is by you know any other any other kind of cpg business you build brands you build consumer relationships so we wanted to be a brand house a cpg company that built good consumer relationships that were you know, and brands that were well segmented and then work with cultivators and contract manufacturers to put brands and different SKUs into market um so we raised a small seed round um 
hired a team, raised a Series A of a, around six million, um, and now we've got six brands in market. Um, sorry, six brands in development, two in market um, in Canada, and we're we're expanding across into the into the US. Um, and that's become its own its own thing now. Like, so it has its own team. Abacus has its own team. Jeff and myself are still heavily involved. We split our time, um, but it's it, Abacus supports High Noon, but isn't you know directly um, tied to to High Noon. That's probably where the friction comes from. With Ian's talking about where you've got to have a you know a, a tidy uh, scope that wraps everything up. Sometimes it's unclear what you know, Abacus expectations are and, you know, all of that stuff. So that's still like a, you know, working progress and all of that stuff is by no means perfect, but it's working really well. We've got some killer products in market. It's its own separate thing. And Abacus is still, you know, alive and kicking and doing doing its thing. And we're, we're scaling. We have, because of that success, we have started to um, think about for, for, for a year or so, what's the next evolution of Abacus? And we've, you know, we've looked at these agencies south of the border with some envy sometimes. There's agencies like Red Antler, that's probably the, you know, the standout agency that has taken equity and played a VC card uh, with brands and made a, a, an enormous amount of money from it. So uh, if you don't know, Red Antler's done um, Casper, Allbirds, Yumi, Cabin, uh you know brainiac just a, a mountain of these really famous dc brands and they've taken equity in in all of them that's their model um and then there's another company in the us called gin lane which closed down its entire agency operations created a company called Patton brands raised 16 million us and just started creating their own dc brands because they thought they could do it better you know i wish in some ways, that was our story. We're like, you know, hey, we, we can do this better. Let's do it. We didn't. It happened by happenstance, by by opportunity coming to us. But that organic kind of creation process is almost, you know, we we, we it's it's allowed us to explore opportunities organically and and devote resources without going through these, you know, big processes of um, you know working out what our next product is going to be and all of that type of stuff. So we our opportunities been presented by quality partners coming to us with opportunities and us then you know helping flesh that out and so now we're we're in the process of launching a, another uh, brand which very similar thing um some ex-people from coca-cola um who launched a very famous uh, sub-brand came to us and wanted to develop uh, a brand we've been toying with um What's called adaptogens for a little while, and uh, and creating a product in the adaptogen space. So we've built a product, a nascent product around that, and assemble a team, and we're going to kind of do the same thing as we did with with Abacus. And that's for me, you know, Abacus is this. We really enjoy working with our clients. We really enjoy the agency work. We can attract talent. We can work on amazing products. We can test lots of different things across our different clients. Um, and then we can use that engine effectively, this amazing brand and sales acquisition engine, and point that at specific opportunities as they arise. Um, and it's 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 really valuable. But I don't foresee us, you know, shutting down Abacus or anything like that, like a Gin Lane doing. You know, we really enjoy that work. Um, but you need to be very, or we need to be very structured um, or picky about it. Like uh, I've seen a lot of agencies try and play VC in it, you know, for, for all of the red antlers out there, there's, you know, Ted Ant, 
10,000 agencies that got distracted, you know, weren't bringing money and weren't focused on cash flow. They were doing all of this free work and then completely collapsed under that pressure. So, um, you know, it's, we've got to be, agencies are a cash flow hungry business that require a lot of focus. And so we're, you know, dedicating a lot of time and resources to that. And when these opportunities come up, we, you know, we evaluate them. And um, if they're a good opportunity, we we try and build a team around it very fast and then structure a relationship with Abacus that's helpful, but not all consuming. Um, and that's that's kind of our trajectory right now. And I, you know, with Abacus, we're, you know, we're not trying to scale at all costs and grow. I still think the AORs are fucked. Um, I think they have been for years. I think, you know, they're getting smaller and smaller margins, less and less value provided, worse and worse contracts, clients wanting, you know, worse payment terms or more flexibility in housing. There's a move towards specialist agencies and technology and all of that stuff. And I still think we're we're right in that kind of zone where it's 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 the future of the agency in that regard. And I want to still iterate on that while we're exploring these interesting opportunities. And I, I almost see them as, you know, uh, weighted bets that are kind of lottery opportunities, whereas the agency is this kind of steady horse that's, you know, the, the engine behind a lot of that stuff. Doing it again, oh, Michael, okay. um, there's a great question in the chat around, like, um, and I, I was thinking of something similar myself, but how do you, like, have you ever walked away from projects and how did you know when to do it? Um, and I guess my add to that question is like, when you talked about evaluating things, like how do you know when to say no? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question because I mean, neither of us are, Jeff more so than me. Jeff's kind of a traditional kind of business person, MBA, um, you know, so he's kind of, he, he's good at evaluating those things and he's been a um, uh, a mentor to startups. So probably looked at, you know, a thousand pitch decks and been on those panels and all of that stuff. So we've kind of got his brain as a an in-house, um vc almost um but you know it's been a lot of it's been a lot of luck and like i said at the start we've we've missed a massive opportunity and um then we've taken on board you know right after that equity in in startups that you know floundered and didn't work and i i, I the the commonality what the ones that didn't work was there was you know i think there's more risk in taking a small piece of a company that you don't have control over. So taking these little shots and dedicating, you know, 10 different pieces of resources and kind of acting like that portfolio approach, that's, that's fairly dangerous. Like whenever we're going into these um, ventures, we, we've got meaningful stakes that, you know, joint ventures, they're not just taking a small bit of equity to reduce the startups cash burn. Um, and uh the the you know the, the deals that fell fell apart or we kind of pulled out of that was just you know because we were taking on a little bit of equity they thought they could just use us for anything you know and it kind of the scopes fell out of the window and it's just like okay you're our in-house everything now so you're going to do everything and uh you know the relationship degraded fairly fast with those with those companies so with new ones we have you know, it's it's first off, it's not Abacus taking like Ian, it's not Abacus taking on equity, but Abacus is the workhorse behind a lot of it. But the deal between Abacus and the company is, you know, a beneficial deal for the venture. I, you know, at a, at a good rate, uh, but it's very specifically or has to be very specifically kind of scoped out with, you know, very specific uh, uh, boundaries in place. Otherwise, it just turns into a cluster. That's 
that's funny, Peter, because in the early days, John and I are very enthusiastic uh, chaps, and we would say yes to ev everything. Like, and I think the thing that we've got better at is saying no to more stuff, being more selective, or you know, surround ourselves with people that help us say no or scope things and can be stricter. Because uh, I do get super excited about these opportunities, and I, I think that's you know. I think we all do. I think that's you know why we do this and why we kind of um, we want to kind of continue kind of finding interesting things to do. But the thing that I've kind of learned over the last few years is is saying no is really good, and actually focusing on the same thing every day is can be just as exciting as the new shiny thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that I have certainly at the start I really struggled with because I get bored really easily. Um, and I want to do new things all the time. Um, but what I've learned is that that's quite a daft way to get into public company, right? <laughs> um, get, get, saying no to more stuff is probably a good way of actually doing more ventures, if that makes sense. In a weird way. Mm -hmm. um, another question we've got is um, in terms of comparing to like Red Ant that like, you mentioned, Peter. Um, What's your perspective and the difference between them, quote unquote, doing it, um, and what happens a lot of time in Canada, which is people talking about it but not doing it? Um, do you mean like agencies doing what agency uh, Red Antler are doing, or I think, or just uh, just people building the DC brands? I think in terms of people who often talk about doing something but then don't see it through, um, and people like Red Antler doing a good job of going and doing it. And if I'm mm. asking that question wrong, Alex, please jump in and correct me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's no secret there's a difference between uh, Canada and America, some, some very good differences, some not so good differences. Um, I think on the, you know, I mean, Abacus itself, we love doing business in the States. They're, they're more aggressive, they're more bullish. They, um, they, they, they get, innovation done Canada's you know a lot more conservative there's a lot less execution on on big ideas there's a lot more um uh me too kind of startups you know to to their casper we have our nd etc and kind of importing them and vcs are kind of comfortable with that model in in canada once it's been proven out um so uh, there's obviously a different mentality i think I think you wrote a fairly scathing piece, didn't you, Ian, about uh, Canada and innovation? Or... <laughs> no, I've never written anything about <laughs> innovation ever. <laughs> um, so yeah, I know, but I also think you know, Red Antler. These are anomalies. So you're looking at the anomalies rather than the the rule a lot of the time. So it's it's kind of hard to say what they have. Like there could have been. A bunch of things that allowed that to happen early on network effects in new york hyper connected you know founder of the company the agency perhaps you know didn't need regular client work as much because you know they had cash in the bank the founders wealthy already you know there could have been a bunch of stuff that allowed them to take those those risks early on cool um are there any other questions that people have? I mean, I could ask these two questions for, for hours and I often do. Um, but I wanna open it up to the other guys that have uh, joined this session to, if there's the questions that you guys have to ask these guys, please please do jump in. 
cue awkward silence. <laughs> um, I guess in terms of when you when you see that the environment is happening at the moment, like for a lot of agencies are having a bit of an oh shit moment from coronavirus. Um, a lot are having a bit of a renaissance because coronavirus is forcing their clients to think and behave and act differently. How do you see the future of that environment impacting the venture side of your uh, operations? Um, go in or? Yeah, you go, you go. <laughs> um, I mean, for, candidly, for on the on the venture side, it, it just it just hasn't yet. Um, you know, we we raised money for High Noon before all of this. Um, you know, we're we're in we're in a raise right now for the next product, and um, it doesn't seem to be affecting it. There's still appetite for these kind of ideas that we're we're throwing out in specific um areas of the market like it's obviously affected the our agency um not as much as others um so we're we're not over leveraged on certain clients uh, we're not over leveraged in certain industries uh, we're performance focused so you know typically a lot of the stuff that gets cut is you know I don't want to say fluffy, but it's like the the brand stuff that gets cut first. Anything that's tied to revenue tends to get cut a little bit later. Um, we do have some exposure on, like we don't typically commit clients to long term contracts, which is a downside in this market. Um, but you know, it, it hasn't been calamitous by any means. I and mean, clients still need what we're we're selling. And like I said, we're we're when we started the agency, we wanted to be positioned as you know super valuable to brands, building growth engines, these tying to dollars. So they're all kind of seeking that right now. Maybe we've kind of pivoted a little bit on you know where exactly we focus on kind of prospecting and the clients we want to go after a little bit more. You know, we're not exactly thirsty for airline business right now, um, but you know, there, there's plenty of brands out there that 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 need help. But like I said, on the venture side, it hasn't really affected it per se. I have heard, you know, anecdotally from VC friends uh, and that, those guys in the in the US that seed rounds are harder to come across. People are taking less bets. Um, VCs are more interested in putting a bit more money into larger rounds with proven concepts um, than seed. So maybe that's dried up a little bit, um, but I, we haven't seen any impact really. And there's no Scottish football just now, Ian, so it's impacted <laughs> the ventures quite significantly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think one thing that will kind of come out of it from, you know, like kind of Peter's saying, is um, I think funding will probably be more con considered. I kind of, one thing I can, I mean, I wouldn't rant, but like one, one thing I kind of get a bit annoyed with of the whole kind of VC funding thing is that a lot of time they are kind of fake businesses or, you know, uh, businesses that actually don't really make money uh, and are all around hype. And I think from, from one point of view, I think, I think funding will become more considered, will become more tracked to, you know, to, to what Peter does in terms of his agency, track more to performance and actually what is happening. Are we actually making a difference um, in terms of the bottom line? So I think that's quite, that's quite, I think that'll be quite interesting. I know a lot of people who um, have pushed through with their rounds during this phase, and some have had dropouts and things like that. But 
I, I actually think it'll it'll just make people a bit more considered, and I think people will back stuff um, if it's the if it makes sense financially. Um, yeah, I, I I think it I think it'll be quite a good thing for what is essentially a bit of a bubble. Yeah, I think like we were already kind of in this interesting zone before COVID where we were starting to see blowback against these kind of blitz scale models we work and people like that are the obvious ones but also the dtc darlings casper's having a lot of problems uh warby parker's been getting a lot of blowback um so if anything is kind of accelerating that um to the point where you know we're we're almost getting back to basics and we need to see some light at the end of the tunnel when we when we make these investments um uh, investing in kind of sound businesses that have uh you know profits somewhere in in sight and we're certainly seeing that in cannabis cannabis yeah. was um you know invested funded capacity doesn't matter when you make money um and now it's you know it's all about path to profitability um with these businesses so um that that's just been accelerated and I think, you know, like, I don't know if you guys like or know NDVC, but I think they, they have quite an interesting kind of point of view on stuff like this. Like the fact is they hate unicorns, hate the term uni unicorns. And I think hopefully what will happen is um, it'll create more sustainable startups and it'll create startups that are, you know, they can be born out of agencies because you're not expecting them to be these thousand people, billion dollar companies. And, you know, I've worked with, I have, worked with companies that are unicorns and it's I've found it a really stressful weird experience um, and it, yeah and I, I think hopefully you know the COVID will kind of kind of bring that all to the surface and essentially allow people like us to do more more things that we want to do in a more sustainable way hopefully but probably won't <laughs> <laughs> We had one other question, um, which is around how do you bring in different skill sets when you when you're starting? So how do you find um, creative what creative thinkers that need to be good at finance or accounting or HR or technology? Um, I think I, I can probably say what not to do. Um, what I did at the start was <laughs> I just got all my pals. Um, to come and join me which was it was fun and stuff for me but then it didn't really bring it didn't bring diversity it didn't bring diversity of thought so i think the the way that we kind of f find skills is just look for people that have similar e ethos but think completely differently to you like build a really diverse team and someone that actually you probably might think actually you know that isn't someone that we traditionally work with but they're really good at the thing that i'm not good at you know, for instance, we have a venture director called Mikey Kamara, and he's, you know, uh, um, he's, he's, he's been around the block. He knows, um, he knows everything to do with kind of deals and ventures and things like that. And it's just like the, the level that he operates on. I don't need to know his knowledge because he's got it, right? I'll learn bits and pieces from him, but actually he's someone that he doesn't want to do what I do, and I don't want to do what he does. And I think that kind of diversity works pretty well in terms of diversity of thought, uh, diversity of kind of knowledge is important as well. And then diversity of people as well, I think was, that's one thing that we do, just don't build companies around your mates, because uh, it's a bit shit. <laughs> and the separation of production state perhaps. Yes, <laughs> and it can get awkward, yeah. 
And how about you, Peter? We like to see the opposite, just uh, <laughs> homogenous, homogenous all the way, <laughs> beards and glasses. Um, <laughs> no, uh, so we always use Abacus as the accelerator. So we take the, you know, we take the HR pipe, the accountancy, all of that piping, and we use that to start with when there's very low overhead of the business so we kind of we piggyback on abacus when it's a fairly low burn just to get it to the place where we can you know raise some money and then raising i don't know whether this is particularly useful because it's and like it's not uh, it's not necessarily replicable but both jeff and i spend a ton of time building network um so i have a thing called bellwether which used to be a month-to-month get together at the soho house and uh obviously no longer happening um but i've been running that for six years and it's for you know innovation tech founders you know those kind of people um vcs any ancillary kind of people that would be useful you know lawyers when we have to um and so we have this kind of uh group of people that we can we lean on so when we're hiring the initial staff always it's with our existing network it, you know it's, it's not necessarily friends but it's people that know people we, we can put feelers out and we can hire really good people really fast and that's kind of six years in the making so i don't know if that's particularly useful but it takes time right yeah <laughs> um Thank you but to everyone joining today. Thanks to Peter and Ian taking the time to to talk about what they're up to. Um, I guess like to find out more, like what are the best places, like how can people find you, whether what's the best way? Twitter, LinkedIn, email. What's the best way to find you, Ian? Uh, probably Twitter. So I'm just the uh, oh jawbone. So OH Jawbone named after the band song. If anyone's into the band. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, or um, you can kind of find uh, Studio Something on Instagram's best place to find us there. Um, so that's just uh, something gram on Instagram. I'll send links actually. Perfect. And Peter? Yeah, same thing. Twitter. I've, I've just put my uh, Twitter handle in the chat. It's uh, DigiDharma came up with that when I was 15 and I've used it for everything since. So it's completely not relevant to, to anything, but I'm sticking with it. Um, and then, you know, LinkedIn for my uh, boring business updates and um, Instagram as well. And our, our websites are abacus.agency and uh, high12brands.com. Perfect. Um, thanks so much guys for taking the time today. Um, we've recorded this. We're going to turn it into a little bit of a podcast like we did with the last one of these. Um, so we'll share that out probably later next week. Um, other than that, enjoy your Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening, wherever you are in the world. Love to you. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And if you want to learn more about Now or Never, please visit nowornever.network.